When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from Tech Sideline's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center, recording today on Tuesday, April the 16th, 2019. With Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, out of the office today, so Chris moves over into Will's chair so we can get the frame right. right. For those that are watching on Facebook Live, we're glad you're with us, and for those listening on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, glad you are with us as well. CC, another spring game in the books. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. Um, you know, I first started coming to the spring game in 1999, so I guess that was like my 20th or 21st spring game, assuming I didn't miss any in, in there. I might have missed one, maybe not. I don't remember. But it's a, it's a I've seen a lot of spring games in Lane Stadium, and actually Saturdays was one of the more entertaining ones. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of different weather take place for oh spring my games. Gosh. Uh, you know, I, I told uh, Whit Babcock a couple of years ago, I said, man, the only thing you're doing wrong is weather for the spring game because it seemed like it was raining every year there. But uh, it, was, it was good weather this time. You know, it rained in the morning, and then the kind of the clouds parted, didn't rain during the game, and then it rained that night and the next day. So uh, good timing by the – football weather gods there so speaking of what you went on off the uh the spring game last week i used this stat that you used at your first 99 spring game because on the bear tailgate show with tim donnelly i was talking about um uh, quincy patterson and mm-hmm. i was saying hey you know if he goes three for 12 it's okay that's what mike vick did <laughs> yeah, in his spring game like that, yeah. and then tim's like well you got to pump the brakes on the whole right. and i was like i did not mean to make that comparison i was just going off of uh right. cc's first experience yeah. of michael vick in the spring game yeah then that that's an accurate statement um and you've seen some guys have good spring games before bad spring games it, that doesn't doesn't really mean anything when it comes to the upcoming season you know, you know especially you know that offensive line was kind of split up uh, a couple of projected starters weren't even in the game. Right. Uh, we were down. They had a 249-pound converted walk-on tight end playing tailback uh, in Malik Bell. So, you know, you just don't have all your pieces, and, and, and you can't – just because you have a bad game d- doesn't necessarily mean anything. No, and that was before the game, by the way. Quincy Patterson, a lot of positives to take away from the spring game. We'll talk about the quarterback situation and everything that happened on the spring game today. Plus, Mike Young making some news uh, in his new assistant coaches. We'll talk about the coaching staff, rounding things out there, plus an update on spring sports towards the end of the podcast. Again, with Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, out of the office today on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DOI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So before we jump into the spring game, we are recording on April 16th. Uh, which is, of course, 
uh, the 12-year anniversary um, of the tragedy here at Virginia Tech, one of the worst days, if not the worst days, that this campus and university has ever seen. Um, it's an emotional day, uh, and there, are, of course, are many great things that have helped remember it throughout the years from the 3.2 run to start off Saturday, the spring game, um, to, of course, the memorial out in front of uh, Burris Hall. Chris, I know you were saying you were in Radford on that day, but I just thought it was appropriate to bring it up to you that our thoughts um, are with the friends and the families of the 32, and, and they are never forgotten. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, if you go through something like that, and I don't mean go through it as in you're in town, I mean, like, go through something like that, you're in the building or you had a family member that was in the building. Uh, every time that date pops up, you know, that thought just automatically goes into your head. So, uh, yeah, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to everybody that was uh, involved in, in that situation. And, uh, you know, it's a it's a difficult day. I don't want to say difficult day for Virginia Tech uh, alums. Uh, it, it's it's obviously you, you want to celebrate the life of everybody uh, of everybody involved that uh, that passed away. But uh, at the same time, you know, it's, it's still kind of shocking that something like that happened to your school. It was, uh, and, and especially, you know, Blacksburg, Virginia, where stuff like that just, just doesn't happen or just doesn't seem like it's a place that it would happen. Well, and again, our, I want to emphasize our thoughts and prayers to the families and the friends of the Virginia Tech community. Um, you know, Shane Graham, I think I saw you or somebody else retweet this. I think Tech Sideline did. Shane Graham's an assistant mm -hmm. coach at Michigan State, and he yeah. actually has now in his mini uh, helmet uh, collection, Michigan State had the VT um they sure did. They, they had the VT on the back of the helmets yeah. for their spring game. And Ohio you know, State did that, and I'm sure several other schools did that also. Yeah, and uh, I know the, the Nikki Giovanni uh, speech has been played a lot today throughout social media. What a mm -hmm. what a powerful and impactful speech that was. Yeah, I remember uh, I was going to go to that, and uh, by the time I got over in the area, the line to get in the castle was all the way down to Washington Street all the way down Washington Street past Miles Hall. You know, so, I mean, that, that was just an incredible line. So I could not get actually get in the arena for that. So I had to watch it on TV, as did most people. Uh, but, yeah, it was uh, certainly a very powerful moment. Again, thoughts and prayers uh, to the 32. And I just thought it was uh, nice to start off the podcast and uh, thinking about those as we get going here on the Tech Sideline podcast, transitioning into football. Yes. We had football this past weekend in Blacksburg, Virginia. It was indeed uh, the spring game, and CC was there. Uh, it was a pretty good turnout on a day where the weather was up in the air literally hour by hour. It rained on Friday. It rained on a little bit on Saturday. It rained on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But weather-wise, we lucked out. And overall, to me, CC, we talked about last week how there's so much more going on than just the football game. Like, there's recruiting going on. There's a softball game. There's a lacrosse game. It just seemed like it was an all-around great day for Virginia Tech Athletics. I parked in Lot 8, and I was walking towards uh, Lot 5 to a tailgate, walked by the softball stadium, and it was a great crowd for the softball games against Virginia. It was a doubleheader that day, um, you know, partially because of the spring game. So, yeah, I think uh, the spring game is, is good, you know, not only for the program, but for – Black, uh, for Virginia Tech itself, for the locality, for Blacksburg, bringing in business. Uh, it was good for fans. Uh, obviously, I was in Lot 5, and there were a lot of good tailgates going on in Lot 5. I mean, it looked like a regular football game in Lot 5. So uh, people were excited to get their, their one tailgating opportunity in before the season started. 
So uh, I saw that there was somebody with a, uh, I'm going to forget the word of it, but built over a six-month period a small house that is connected to a trailer that is two oh, stories in six bedrooms. I saw that thing. I don't know what the exact words were. I mean, it's uh, it's it's bigger than a trailer. I mean, they could sleep six people. Yeah, I've I've se- I've seen those things uh, on the market before. Um, I think I think they might even sell them over in Christiansburg. Yeah, a place over on the Motor Mile. So, but, anyways, uh, the 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 tailgaters were out in full force. Also figured out that there is a cooler that can have a blender attached to it for five hundred dollars. So. Oh man, uh, you could do some serious damage at a tailgate yeah. with with a blender. Uh, 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 yeah, there, there's. I think as uh, tailgating has advanced through the years, there, there's a whole business behind it, um, and there's so many new different things uh, that people are coming out with, uh, or just making themselves. You know, I, I tailgate with, with, with a buddy in the commuter lot sometimes, and he's got this giant lunch pail defense thing, and it, it's a bar. You can go inside of it. it it's massive. Um, it, it's it's actually. Uh, been uh twitter famous to a certain extent um so yeah lots of cool things you see if you walk through the the lots on game day in blacksburg let's focus on the game itself lots of different ways we can go but i'm just going to start off with this chris coleman's initial reflections on the spring game is what yeah well i I think most of us thought or knew that the strength of the offense and probably even the strength of the team going into the spring was the wide receivers slash tight ends and I feel like that that was confirmed during the spring game. So so what really stood out to me watching the game is, you know, if those are our best players at wide receiver and tight end, then we should start the quarterback that has the best opportunity to get them the ball. There's no point in having good a bunch of good wide receivers running around if you're starting a quarterback that, that doesn't know where to go with the football, right? So I, I left that, that spring game thinking, man, really – it's not a competition right now at quarterback. They might say it is, and I, and I know they want their players to believe there there is to continue that uh, to continue to work hard over the summer and everything like that. But I don't think there's any doubt, 100 percent chance if the season started tomorrow that Ryan Willis is Virginia Tech starting quarterback. He's just more advanced than those other two guys in the passing game. Hendon Hooker knows the system a little more better than Quincy Patterson, but he's very he's an he's an erratic inaccurate guy at this stage of his development. Uh, Quincy, a uh, very physically talented dude, can make any throw on the field, would be an awesome read option quarterback. He's a guy, though, that only threw the ball 70 times as a senior in high school, so he's just not going to be particularly advanced in the passing game at this stage. Now, if this was 2013 when Virginia Tech didn't have any good wide receivers, you start Quincy Patterson and you just run the read option because that's your only chance to move the football, and you're just trying to, to help out your defense, keep the defense off the field and everything like that. But this year, I mean, when you got Trey Turner, I mean, I think Trey Turner – is the most physically gifted wide receiver to play here in quite a while. He's going to have a uh, an NFL. Career. When's the last one? Just out of curiosity, what could you compare him to? From a from a physical talent, he you know he's not as fast as a guy like Andre Davis. He's not as shifty as a guy like Eddie Royal. He doesn't have the size of a guy like Ernest Wilford. He's, he's, he's kind of in between all that. I don't think we've ever had a guy that you could really compare him to. Maybe Justin Harper to a certain extent, except he's a more advanced version, I, I think, of, of, of Justin Harper. So I definitely think he's got an NFL future. Uh, you know, how, how, how can 
how could you justify starting a quarterback that can't get him the ball on a consistent basis, right? Um, so I, I just uh, – I don't know. There's no question in my mind that it's going to be Ryan Willis. That's That was my main takeaway from the spring game. Eric Fisher wants to know what's the biggest thing I missed. Honestly, Eric, probably tailgating. That's my favorite part of the spring game. But but other than that, you know, I, I thought uh, – I thought it was it was interesting to to look at the quarterbacks and see where they are as players right now. Uh, I'd encourage people not to judge Quincy too 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 much right now. First of all, you know, like I said before, through seventy passes as a senior in high school. Real quick, think yeah. about that. You play ten regular season oh games. Gosh, yeah. If you average out seventy times, you're throwing the ball seven times a game. And just I'm to sure, put that into more right. perspective. And if you and if you're and if you've if you only plan to throw it seventy times a season. You're not installing a very advanced passing tree in there either. It's gonna it's gonna be very simple and very limited. So there's just so much he's seeing right now that he's never seen before. Uh, also, he was playing with a gash on a finger in his throwing hand, which affected his throwing ability to a certain extent. Now what we saw at times that his talent level there was a throw he made in the back of the the end zone to Dewan Ellis that was just perfect. Now Jermaine Waller made a great play on the ball to come off his uh, receiver and uh, separate. Dewan Ellis from the football, but uh, it was the type of throw that Quincy's capable of make. Rolling to his right, zipping it past the head of defender. I mean, he had a very small window that he had to fit that ball into, and he fit it right there. So his long-term potential, nothing's changed there. Right. I mean, he's he's about where he should be in terms of his development, and when you consider his background, right right now. Um, so just uh, just give it time. Uh, I think it's good that the he'll probably get to sit for another year and marinate, so to speak, because he's not ready yet. But when he is ready, he's got a chance to be very, very good. Well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head last week when you were discussing how a lot of times fans will see the, the ranking the, and, the, and the four-star and the Elite 11, and that translates sometimes yeah. to a thought that this guy is going to be a day one right away, enter the program, be that guy. And it is just such a jump from high school football to Division One college football. Yeah, and, and honestly, most four-star recruits, they're closer to three-star in terms of talent than, than, than five-star. Or think about it, there's generally about 30 five-star recruits. And then your four-star recruit, recruits go from about number 31 to anywhere between number 300 and 350 in the national rankings. So your guys rank back there in the 300, 325 range. They're nowhere close to five-star recruits. They're, uh, they're much, much closer... Turned off my. There we go. Uh, turn off the video for a second. Oh, got to keep but the Facebook live up. Appreciate yeah, the uh, comments, everybody. Yeah. Um, so, where was I? Uh, you were uh, discussing the being closer to a three star than a five star. Yeah, and uh, so if you're the 325th recruit in the country, I, I think your average fan who doesn't really d- think about things too deeply uh, or dive into it, they think, oh, look, four stars. Uh, but there are many. There, there are different levels of four-star recruits, right? And Quincy was not one of those guys ranked thirty-first, fortieth in the country, something like that. That that that's where Ryan Williams and David Wilson and, and guys that and Tyrod Taylor got guys that were expected to make an impact early, uh, and they did make an impact early. Uh, Quincy wasn't quite rated that high. He, he was he was in your lower level of four-star recruits. I think he has five-star talent if it all comes together. But there's enough unknown there 
that he was actually closer to a three-star prospect than a five-star prospect. Continuing on our conversation, I'm getting, I've seen a lot of comments, and I'm going to kind of take it through offense first and then defense for those watching on Facebook. So let's let's put a bow on the quarterback mm-hmm. uh, talks right now because, again, Quincy Patterson progressing, but I think the story here is it's not that he's not progressing. He is, and he's making improvements, but the Ryan Willis, a redshirt senior, yeah. all the experience in the world, making improvements, and he showed on a couple of his touchdown passes why he is QB1 at the moment. Well, he's an extremely physically talented passer. Uh, you know, there are times where he doesn't read the field over the middle all that well. But as far as throws outside the tackle box, that guy's as good as we've had around here about putting the ball where only wide receivers can catch it. Such great arm strength can, can – complete a deep out or a deep corner from the opposite hash. I mean, there are NFL quarterbacks that are very similar to to Willis from a pure physical talent standpoint. Um, So he's got a chance – he's still got a chance to be a very good player for Virginia Tech. He needs to get better at the read option as far as his actual reads and the RPO game and all that. But you you got to think back. I I don't know what his background was. I know he's from Kansas. His and, dad played for Kansas State. Right. Um, and I don't know enough about football out in the state of Kansas. Like, you see so many guys these days going to advanced throwing camps and everything like that. And I, I, I just – there aren't any Nike camps in, in, in Kansas where you can get refined training and things like that. I mean, if you're from Kansas and you're a recruit – you're kind of got your back against the wall relative to recruits from other states because there's just not enough prospects right around there for these get people who put on camps and showcase events and things like that to come out there and give these guys advanced teaching. Um, and then you go to Kansas itself, which is quite possibly the least talented Division One. They do have less miles now, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Do you see that video he did? Uh, Step Brothers, a uh, remake, no, by the I, way, I, I with um, uh, who's their basketball coach? Uh, oh, Bill Self. Bill Self. Oh, Anyways, man. he must be really bored in retirement to take that job. I'll <laughs> say because that is, that is a hard job. But they they have no talent, and Willis had to go in there and play as a true start as a true freshman, not just play. Start as a true freshman. Did not have the coaching he has at Virginia Tech under Justin Fuente. Uh, you know, I w- I would like to see what a guy. Like him, how he would have developed if he'd had a Justin Fuente, Brad Cornelson type at a stable program with good players around him from day one. What type of player would he be right now? Um, I still think he has a high ceiling. I still think he's a very draftable player. I mean, I I would not be shocked at all if uh, this week next year leading up to the NFL draft, we're talking about where's he going to get drafted, who's going to take him, blah, 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 blah. He certainly has that type of physical talent. He had a uh, that beautiful 29-yard uh, post pattern to James Mitchell, who we'll talk about. I see the yeah, comments. Yeah, got a question about James Mitchell. We're, we're, we're getting get there, James. I promise. Uh, and then, the uh, of course, the 62-yard pass to uh, mm-hmm. Trey Turner, yeah. uh, which was a beautifully thrown ball. Yeah. Uh, so, again, the quarterbacks, really, this is where we'll leave it from the spring game, as you heard CC say in his opinion. And I think – 
for me, what the spring game told me most about this team is a lot of what we had been discussing has proven to be true. Yeah. The talent of this team is at the receiving core and at the linebacker spot mm-hmm. on defense. Mm-hmm. That Ryan Willis was the leader in the clubhouse going into the spring game, and he leaves as the leader in the clubhouse. Nothing against Patterson or Hooker, but just that he is at another level right. at the moment than them. Yeah, and uh, I don't think very many people would say that they walked away from the spring game surprised by anything they saw. Correct. We looked about how I would have expected us to look, uh, knowing everything that, uh, that, that I know now um, and everything I thought heading into it, quite frankly. Uh, the offense is, is, you know, they were very limited with their formations and stuff in that game. You know, they kind of ran the same personnel package that could – through two or three different formations. It just kind of left it at that. So it was a simple offense for the defense to, to match up against and scheme against and everything like that, which isn't too surprising for a spring game. But what did impress me was that they've already got the two-minute offense installed, or at least the two-minute offense from uh, – Midfield. From, from, yeah, right. Well, as far as uh, – they've at least got some of it installed, that they were able to – to run that offense for large portions of the spring game. So that kind of tells me that the offense itself is further along than it normally is right now. And, and maybe the, uh, maybe having a senior quarterback has something to do with that. I mean, think about that. Virginia Tech, it's been a while since, you know, well, we haven't had a senior quarterback since Fuente's been here, right? So we had Gerard Evans, who was a JUCO recruit, and the plan was for him to start for two years. And then he left after his junior year, after that first season in 2016. So then you start redshirt freshman Josh Jackson. and Then, then redshirt sophomore. Right, right. And then he's going to come back and start as a redshirt sophomore the next year. So you're like, yes, Fuente's got his starting quarterback for two years in a row. Nope, not so much because he goes down in the ODU game with an injury. So there's, a, there's your third starting quarterback in three years. So Willis getting that experience uh, last year and being the starter this year, I, I think it leads to the, to the offense being a little bit more advanced at this point than it normally is in the spring. Continuing on, the offensive talk. We'll get to the defense a little bit. Wrapping up the spring game conversations on the Texas Sideline podcast. Chris Coleman, Evan Hughes with you. Keep the comments going on Facebook Live. We'll get to them, and we'll get to the one that has been asked a couple of times here on Facebook Live. Thoughts on James Mitchell, who to me I I think was probably the standout, or if there was a surprise, not that he was a surprise, but just made the most of his opportunity right. in the spring game was James Mitchell, uh, James Mitchell, a Southwest Virginia guy, yeah. a sophomore tight end. Dalton Keene's out for the spring due to uh, an injury. So James Mitchell, I, I mean, He's another also injured. Correct. He played with a broken finger. Mm-hmm. He comes, and that's very hard to do, by the way. Catch passes with a broken <laughs> finger. It's hard to play football in general with a broken finger. Chris Coleman, is there? Is is he another weapon for this Virginia Tech offense? Oh, I don't think there's any anything about it. Uh, any doubt about it? I, I think there's a reason Chris Cunningham is at Old Dominion right now. He was going to be the third tight end behind Dalton Keene and James Mitchell. Um, that is a dynamic duo right there. Mitchell. First of all, I really like his toughness. He didn't have to play in the spring game because in the end, the spring game doesn't mean anything. But it, and I don't think he was expected to play. Fuente basically said last week in front of the in front of the media that he wasn't going to play, and then he did play. So I like that toughness. I mean, you can talk X's and O's and spread formations and all that stuff as much as you want to, but really, football still comes down to toughness for for the most part. And uh, he's got that. 
in spades, apparently. Uh, so I, I'm I'm very pleased with what I see from him. He's a guy. He's not six six like Bucky Hodges, but you you're six seven or whatever Bucky was listed as. But they were similar prospects coming out of high school, and that they were high school quarterbacks. You knew they were very good athletes. You didn't know how quick they would take to a new position. transition. Right? Are they natural receivers? And Bucky, while a good player for Virginia Tech, never developed natural receiving skills. You could tell that guy was just not a natural catching the football, running routes. You know, he didn't catch the ball with his hands for the most part unless it was a jump ball. Uh, he would fall down as soon as he caught a short pass and turn around, didn't break tackles, things like that. Just he was an athlete playing a wide receiver. And while it's, it's too early to get a real accurate view, of how advanced Mitchell is at this point. You know, Fuente is not the type to publicly heap huge amounts of praise on any individual player, and he doesn't criticize him in huge amounts either. Uh, He's very low-key when it comes to it. But, man, that guy has been effusive with his praise for James Mitchell since last August. I actually have the the, uh, post article from HokieSports.com up, and this was the quote from Fuente on Mitchell. Quote, He's incredibly smart. He's a great worker. He comes from a great family. He's very talented. He knows what he needs to do to work on to continue to become a better player. He's not a finished product by any means, but he can do so many things. He's very valuable. Close quote. I I would agree with all that. My general takeaway, and this is just having only seen him play once now, I think he's going to be a similar player to Bucky Hodges, except he's a more natural football player. So he's going to be a better player than Bucky Hodges. That's just my personal opinion. I could be wrong. Again, continuing on the uh, conversation of the spring game for Virginia Tech, James Mitchell, the standout. And really, in a lot of ways, you could have given the standout slash surprise award to Ryan Willis last year at the spring game for throwing over 200 yards. I mean, James Mitchell, there was no doubt he was the guy kind of attracting the buzz. And don't listen, one thing that stood out to me when Ryan Willis took over as the Hokie starting quarterback, his first start against Duke, it was Drake, excuse me, not Drake Dulius, one of the other tight ends who they planned to use in the fall. It was Dalton Keene who caught that big tight end, 60-plus yard touchdown reception. To me, it seemed like Willis relied on his tight ends a little bit more than previous Tech quarterbacks. So give him another tight end. Yeah, sure, and I, I think it, you know to a certain extent, you know when Dalton Keene started at tight end as a true freshman for Virginia Tech, that was an example of how little depth and talent Justin Fuente inherited when he got to Virginia Tech. You know, he had Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips as your weapons at wide receiver, but behind, beyond that at the other positions, he did not have much because Dalton King was a high school tailback and came in and started at tight end H-back at Virginia Tech as a true freshman, and he was nowhere near ready. I mean, just nowhere near ready. Sure. Sean Savoy came in and started as a slot receiver that year as a true freshman. Well, Maryland, which is not the most talented college football program in the world, they've already moved him to cornerback. So that should tell you how limited Virginia Tech was at wide receiver uh, behind those two main guys especially. Uh, So it's taken a while to rebuild the talent level. And as Fuente said postgame with John Laser, he's looking forward. He thinks they're close to the point where they can start redshirting more guys. Right. You know, ideally you redshirt Dalton Keene. Ideally, you redshirt James Mitchell last year. Uh, you did not have 
that luxury, though, because there just wasn't that much talent or depth in the program. Um, so hopefully we're getting to the point where uh, we're able to redshirt the next James Mitchell and the next Dalton Keene. And, you know, there are a couple highly touted, a few highly touted receivers coming in this year. One of them's already here, Elijah Bowick, uh, who played in the spring game, and they're high on him. Hopefully at this point you can redshirt a couple of those guys, whereas you, you couldn't in the past. And then Jordan uh, Payute. Payute, I believe, is how you pronounce that. I mean, I you could. I think that was one of the last things Fuente said at his press conference. Like, listen, essentially, we feel really good about the guys coming in. Yeah. And he was excited about them. Yes, as he should be. I mean, Payute's a really good athlete. And that was a Fuente. Fuente personally really liked him. Um, Fuente's like, yeah, we really got to get that guy. Um, you know, you know, a lot of head coaches, you know, they, they trust their assistants. And, you know, you'd, you'd like guys. You like guys as prospects. You recruit them hard. But – when the head coach is like, that's my guy, then then that makes you an important recruit, right? And Payute is a guy, again, very raw because he was a high school quarterback. You don't know how advanced he is a receiver. It's probably going to be in his best interest to redshirt and learn the interest, intricacies of the position, an advanced route tree, everything like that. But, again, like Quincy Patterson, I think his long-term potential is 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 very good. His he has a very high ceiling. Again, continuing on the conversation of uh, Virginia Tech football, there is some uh, news out of Virginia Tech basketball as we have started recording this podcast. We will get to that um, towards the later part of the podcast. So I want to finish up talking about the offense, um, offensive line. Uh, that's it. We're going to see some different guys in there, but also some returning guys like Christian Darisaw. Yeah. They lose Kyle Chung. They lose Silas. Uh, no, excuse me, Joshua Nijman. So what did you see from the offensive line on Saturday? Anything we could take away uh, moving not, forward to the fall? Not really nothing you can take away. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're missing Darisaw, obviously. You're missing Brock Hoffman, who the transfer from Coastal Carolina, who could end up starting this year. Um, so when you're missing – possibly 40% of your starters and the rest of them are kind of split up into two different groups to a certain extent. I mean, you got first team guys, you got second team guys, and you got guys in and out. Maybe in some cases some some guys who aren't really used to playing w- with each other. Um, all you want in that situation is to not completely stink. Honestly. We've seen, I mean, I remember back in the day when you could go to a spring scrimmage at Virginia Tech. I went to a scrimmage one time, an open scrimmage, and watched Virginia Tech's quarterbacks get sacked 13 times, literally 13 times. That's how bad Virginia Tech's offensive line was back in the day. Now, the offensive line was not dominant on Saturday, and I don't think it will be dominant this year, but it was solid. It did not get overwhelmed despite despite, – there, there being new faces in there, despite the fact that they were missing probably a couple of starters. So I'm happy with where the offensive line is at this stage under Vance Vice. Like most other areas of the offense, it needed to be rebuilt from a talent perspective. And it takes longer to do that on an offensive line than anything else because, you know, you've, you've, got, you've got to be physically strong. It's not something you can come in as a wide receiver and unless you're getting tackled. Excuse me. Uh, playing footsie under the table here apparently. <laughs> but uh uh, it's not unless you're getting physically tackled as a wide receiver. There are. It's an easier position to play as a true freshman because if you're an offensive lineman, you you're, might be blocking a 300-pound redshirt senior who's been in the college weight room for four or five years. 
Um, so it takes a while to rebuild to build up an offensive line like that, but I think Virginia Tech is well well on its way to doing that. And then the last position we'll touch on on the offense, just because it's probably the position group that'll look much different come the fall than it did the spring game. However, two guys stood out: Caleb Stewart and uh, out of uh, Louisa County, by the way, <laughs> going to the same high school as uh, uh, Caleb Smith, a receiver who caught a pass, actually covered this guy um, in high school, and. Uh, I had his name uh, name right in front of me, and I am forgetting it. Uh, you brought him up earlier. Uh, Malik Bell. Bell. Malik Bell, who was a, <laughs> a power back at well, Louisa. And he listed as a tight end on the roster, which means they were out of running backs at the end of this, at some point during the spring, and they were probably like, hey, Malik, you want to play tailback? Sure. So but so he act, so he actually did play tailback at yes, Louisa. Yes, I okay. actually covered one of his playoff okay. high school games okay. against Hanover it's High School. It's possible the listing of a tight end on the, on the website is a misprint. It's it's hard to say with with, with that these days. I cer- I certainly remember covering though. He he certainly could make the transition to yeah, tight end. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense, right? Um, but I he had a good day. He had a solid day. Um, certainly probably the most fun he's ever had on a football field because you come in as a walk on, and you hope you get the opportunity to play at some point. Uh, you don't expect to get. Gosh, how many carries did that guy get? He got a lot. Um, I'm not sure how many he got during the spring game, but but it was a lot. And I'm he probably touched the ball more than any player besides a quarterback in in that spring game. So I'm sure I'm sure he had a blast. Yep. And they, again, they do not keep official stats. That's why I don't have it in front of me from the spring game. There were a lot of highly unofficial stats right. being uh, thrown around there. But is Stewart a guy who could work himself into the rotation of Wheatley and Jalen Holston and Deshaun McLeese? Well, I mean, I think you have to consider that possibility. Sure. When you consider that Wheatley's out with sh- shoulder surgery, Holston has always seemed to be banged up. McLeese has hurt a lot. So, yeah, I, th- I think you have to consider Stewart a possibility there, although he's been banged up a lot this spring too. It just doesn't seem like Virginia Tech has any healthy running backs right now. And, of course, the guy coming in the summer who I'm really high on is Kishon King from Florida. I think he can be a excellent running back for Virginia Tech, and I think he's going to factor in in some way, shape, or form this year. I was one of CC's top recruits he liked when we talked about recruiting oh, yeah. uh, earlier in the year. We'll step aside for a break here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we come back, we'll touch on the defense. We will touch on the special teams. We'll talk a little bit, a little bit of Virginia Tech basketball. We'll close out with spring sports. Half hour left on the Tech Sideline Podcast. So we step aside for a break. We're proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Welcome back on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Our thanks, as always, to the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, for being proud partners of Tech Sideline and the podcast for the last couple of years. They're back on board next year. I know Will's very fired up with that, and we're very appreciative to Jonathan Fisher and his team over there. No doubt he has been a longtime member of the TSL team here, and we're very appreciative. Back on the podcast with Chris. I'm Evan. Will's out of the office today. We're continuing on. Uh, recapping the Virginia Tech spring game uh, in which the Hokies, we talked about the offense and the highlights there. We'll move to the defense, which uh, obviously 
going back to last year, not the standards that they wanted to have. or They didn't live up to the standards of Virginia Tech defense at times last year, but they returned the top five leaders, leaders and tacklers last year. Uh, the linebackers are back. Dax is back. Ashby's back. I'll start with this, though. What intrigued me most going into the spring game was the defensive line and guys like Deshaun Crawford and some of the JUCOs getting in there. Yeah. We'll start with the defensive line. Your thoughts? I thought uh, the defensive ends were fine. That They seem improved to me. They seemed a little stronger at the point of attack from my one time being able to observe them, which you would expect. They're, they're, third, they're going into their third seasons, and that's generally when college players generally start to physically mature is, the, is in their third year, not when they're redshirt freshmen like last year, unfortunately. Um, so I, I, was, I was fairly happy with their performance. Uh, obviously, defensive tackle is the big worry. I think Hewitt will be solid. Um, after that, there's there's just so much unknown. Uh, Crawford was the other starting defensive tackle, the junior college transfer, and uh, he did not stand out to me either way. That might be a good thing right now, for all I know. He's, I mean, considering how the defensive tackles played for quite a lot of last year, if he can just not stand out in a negative way, that would be a big improvement, in my opinion. So, uh, I, I think I think. Uh, the data on that unit is incomplete right now because some guys are still coming in. Obviously, there's another Juco coming in. you got Josh Fuga coming in, a true freshman who could potentially help out at defensive tackle. Uh, you know, I'll say this. I mean, it'll be a better group than it was last year uh, for sure. Uh, I, I know Ricky Walker is gone, but until the closing stages of the season, he was not the same Ricky Walker as he was before because of that ankle injury. Um and I'm not saying there's going to be a, Rick, a Ricky Walker on this team, but it, it the position's going to be more solid across the board. You're going to have players a little more reliable. Um, you might have you might be closer to having four guys who were capable of helping you than you were last year, even if your number one guy isn't as good as Ricky Walker. Manuel Belmar had two sacks on uh, the spring day. I know right. that Charlie Wiles pretty fired up about that. Yeah, yeah. Virginia Tech they, they have to generate more uh, pressure on on the quarterback this year, no question. You know the defensive backs took a lot of heat last year, and they they were very very young, so their play package from a defensive call perspective was limited because there's just not a lot of it's tough to learn all the zone coverages and all the responsibilities that come with that in a short amount of time if you're a young player so bod had to limit his coverages last year that he could call and then those young young defensive backs were quite frankly left on an island at times because opposing quarterbacks had all day to throw i mean to have a good defense everything has to be working together you have to have good defensive backs but defensive backs are helped out by a defensive line that can get pressure on the quarterback and linebackers that can blitz the, the quarterback and everything like that. So when you think about Virginia Tech's defense, you know, it wasn't just one position. It was all positions that, that were a problem last year. And fortunately, they should be better at all positions this year. As we uh, see a comment here on uh, Facebook Live, a uh, question about uh, from Van Chauve Colston, thoughts on the DBs this year. That was another part going into spring game. A couple of JUCOs, new guys into the system, but also you return guys like Caleb Farley and you return Javon Quillen and others who had experience last year. What did you take away from Coach Hamilton's secondary? I thought they played well for the most part. Uh, I definitely think Caleb Farley's better. He's, he's a smart guy. He's a big guy. He's a good athlete. What people have to understand about him is he really didn't play defense until he got to college. 
Even then, he spent a little time as a wide receiver. So he's a redshirt freshman who never played defense before, and then he spent his redshirt year rehabbing a torn ACL. What are your expectations there? I mean, they shouldn't have been high. Yes, he's a really good athlete, but if you don't have any experience at the position, it's going to be very, very difficult to play. Again, who were the projected two cornerbacks last year? It was Adonis Alexander. Adonis Alexander. And, and it was um, uh, who's, he's Jeremy Webb. Jeremy Webb. Yeah, Jeremy Webb, who I'm looking forward to getting back because I still look at that other spot, and I, I don't think Bryce Watts has a particularly high ceiling there in my opinion like I could be wrong but he still looked like he looked like the guy on defense he just look, kind of looked the same to me in, in, in the spring game got, got burned deep there by Trey Turner at one point not, not that that's going to be an uncommon occurrence for for defensive backs to get burned by Trey Turner but uh I'd feel more comfortable with, with a healthy Jeremy Webb at that other spot and I think we'll actually get that um uh, you know, he should be able to return and be practicing in, in August is what it seems like. If he's 100%, if, if those injuries have fully healed, then I think he's going to start op, op, opposite Caleb Farley. And the best way I could describe Webb is he in Juco, he was a bully on the field, which is a good thing. He was physical. He would step in and be Virginia Tech's most physical defensive player right away. Jeremy in, Webb. In my opinion, pound for pound. And that's saying a lot when you guys got like Dax Hollyfield and Rayshard Ashby, a couple of physical yeah. players themselves. Well, the, so. I mean, Jeremy Webb was the type at Juco. He would just lock up a wide receiver and push him <laughs> eight yards out of bounds. Stuff you get penalized for at a higher level, so he'll have to curb that <laughs> to a certain extent. But uh, I think uh, I, I really look forward – to seeing him play if he's healthy because I think he could make us a lot better in the secondary. By the way, one of the plays of the day, which you don't normally see in spring games this much contact, was Jermaine Waller absolutely drilling Dewan Ellis in the back of the end zone. One of Quincy Patterson's top throws of the entire day, rolling to his right, back of the end zone. But Waller, holy cow. He, he, he crushed him, so it was, it was nice to see some physical play from the defensive backs, which, which we didn't see a lot of last year. But to me, his ability to peel off his receiver, recognize that play, and come back and make a play on the ball is a big step forward mentally from where he was, or any other defensive back, for that matter, was last year. It was just such an inexperienced group last year. And it takes a while sometimes to learn how to play, to adjust to the speed of the game and everything like that. So to me, that play wasn't the big hit. Even if he just got his hands in there and ripped it out, I would have been equally impressed that he was able to come off his receiver, uh, or excuse me, first recognize the play to come off his receiver and then make a play on the ball. And a great question I want to get to as well on Facebook is uh, from Wayne Shepard. What role do you see Devin Hunter playing on defense this year? That's another big question. A highly talented mm -hmm. recruit, redshirted last year. Where do you see Devin Hunter on defense? I think he'll stay at Rover. Um I think that's probably his best position. I don't think you want him on the wide side of the field. And I think he'll have another oper another year of development behind Reggie Floyd, which I think is good for him. He did not stand out to me either way in the spring game, which is a sign of progress because the only times I've seen him play in the past, he stood out negatively to me. Did not play well, uh, whether it was in a little bit of a spring that we were allowed to see last spring or whether it was last year's Old Dominion game where he was absolutely – abused um so the fact that he did not stand out to me 
is a good thing and a sign that he and a sign that he's making progress. And then lastly, the last group on defense that really doesn't need a lot of uh, emphasis because mm-hmm. they returned them all and they are going to be very sound this year in the linebacking core, headlined by Rayshard Ashby, yeah. Dax Hollyfield. Your thoughts on their spring game? I thought Rayshard Ashby, when you consider that Ricky Walker was hurt, uh, I, I would think I think Rayshard Ashby was probably Tech's best defensive player last year. Um, I thought he had a good year for a true sophomore, and he'll have an even better year now as a junior with a year under his belt and with some maybe some better defensive linemen in front of him to keep blockers off of him and all that. I just think he, he's going to have a good year, and he's going to go and have a good career for Virginia Tech. It's good that Dax has slimmed down a little bit because he's got to get more athletic. You know, you saw Cincinnati take advantage of him in the ball game on that pass route with the running back across the middle. Uh, and the opposing defensive coordinators will continue to do that. So he's a better fit for Mike, but now that he's slimmed down, I think he's capable of, of playing backer better than he was a year ago. And just the fact, again, this is his first spring. I mean, the guy had to start as a true freshman last year with no spring practice. Uh, I mean, honestly, in hindsight, you look back, last year's defense had no chance to be successful. Uh, they, they, had, they had to have everybody. Uh, they had to have Adonis. Stay academically el- in el- or excuse me eligible. Mook. They, they would have needed Mook to not get kicked off the team. They, they would have not had needed Trevon Hill to not do Trevon Hill things. Uh, I mean, they would have needed to have no injuries. I mean, everything would have had to have happened had to happen right for def- for last year's defense to be good. Instead, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong, and the players that had to play really had no chance of success in hindsight because they're just too young. They haven't had enough time in the strength and conditioning program. Last uh, position group to get to, that is the special teams unit, which I walked away from CC saying, who is the kicker next year? Is it going to be Brian Johnson or Jordan Stout? Because Brian Johnson, he missed a couple of field goals on Saturday. Yeah, he did. And Fuente had an interesting comment. He he walked up to him and said, hey, man, you okay? And Johnson said, yeah, I feel great today. Feel physically great. And Fuente's like, well, good. Let's start making some field goals then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, Brian Johnson is a guy who he doesn't have a big leg. But, uh, you know, I do think he has the potential to be a capable kicker. George Stout has a pretty big leg, though. Um, You see him punt it over the uh, Virginia Tech scoreboard the other day? Absolutely. And uh, so right now, you know, if the season started tomorrow, I would think it would be Jordan Stout as Virginia Tech's field goal kicker. But, you know, Fuentes and Shebus, they see those guys every day. Now, one thing I do like about Stout is you have to consider the Blacksburg location. It's fairly windy in Blacksburg quite often. Um, so a guy with a stronger leg is more likely to be able to deal with those crosswinds that sometimes you see in Lane Stadium. Um, so there's that aspect of it. I mean, if it were me, just based on my limited knowledge of both guys, Stout would be my guy. But obviously we got a long way to go. Yeah, and that was one thing that was highlighted again in that press release from um, HokieSports.com. And, you know, Fuente said, listen, quote, I really like that whole room, our specialist room, from Oscar to Brian and Jordan, uh, has played a good role for us. It'll be interesting to see the kicking battle as it continues to move forward. Fuente, now, what people don't recognize this about Fuente, that dude is really into special teams. Um, not saying he needs to the title special teams coordinator like Frank Beamer had, but that guy is very hands-on, particularly 
and he said this after the game on the radio, particularly with the punt block, punt return team. He is very hands-on with that unit. And that's why you see him, whenever Greg Stroman returned a punt for a touchdown, he was Fuente himself got more excited than he would get at any other point during the game. The North Carolina Partially because return. it was North Carolina. Partially because Fuente is so hands-on with, it, with that team. So whenever somebody blocks a punt, whenever somebody returns a punt, uh, that gets him... A little extra excited because he's so hands-on with that unit. Yeah, no doubt about it. He did say that. And then you go to the punt block against Florida State. He was very fired up very, about that yeah. as well for the touch. So I think that's really cool, too. To, you know, to, Of course, this has been highlighted across the country. The incredible transition that could not have gone better from Coach Beamer to Coach Fuente. And to see the similarities between the two, the fact that he is involved with special teams. That's really cool, continuing yeah. on the tradition of Beamer Ball. So, um, so we'll wrap up the spring game with this before we touch on basketball quickly uh, in spring sports. We are going into the classroom. We've got Professor Chris Coleman here. It's time to hand out some uh, some awards. Okay. Okay. So uh, let's start with this. Chris Coleman's – we're going to do an MVP on offense, mm-hmm. an MVP on defense, and then an overall MVP. Okay. Okay? Okay. So uh, let's go MVP on offense. If you had to pick out one person, who walks away with that honor? Willis. To me, uh, he's – He's the most valuable player in that he's not necessarily the best player. I think Trey Turner will be the best player. But the most valuable player in that if he's not on the field, Trey Turner touches the ball a lot less often. So, to me, that, that that's why Willis is my MVP. Okay. MVP of the defense? Whew. That's, that's a good question. I, I really liked what I, I thought Divine Diablo was, was much, much better. Um, but I, I'll have to go uh, – Ashby, I think he's the best overall player. Um, if, healthy Jeremy Webb, though, I'm very intrigued yeah. by that. I think he can be a really good player. By the way, this is off the spring game, off of what we saw on Saturday. Right, right, going right, off right. that, not okay. just over. Okay. okay. And um, then uh, your overall MVP from Saturday was who? I, I, I gotta go Willis. Still got, I gotta go Willis. Um, I, I thought overall he was uh, the best player. Now you know it's it's hard to evaluate. Looking at defensive tackles, I'm trying. I'm, I'm watching the game like everybody sure. else. You know, I'm not breaking down who the left guard, if he missed a block on second and twelve and third series of the spring game and stuff like that. But overall, I mean, I, I really do believe uh, that Willis is the MVP of this team, as in most valuable player. He means the From most. Team. I'll, listen, can I go MVP for Saturday? Oscar Bradburn, what a day he had! Right, he just got yeah, to look, hang look, out look. and and oh man, <laughs> chill. They, they, they didn't work on punting until late in the spring game. Yeah. so man, but he really had nothing to do all. Day he just got to until, you know. It, it, although he was, he's the holder, right? Good point. Good so, point. So he, so he is holding. Um, but let's hope we don't. He doesn't have to play as much this year as he has in the past. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah, unless it's as a holder. For every team, you want your yep. punter to not see the field all that often. But so. you want him to see the field a lot as a holder. I believe in the Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl, one of the two teams' punters did not punt the entire game. Don't know that off the top of my head. So, uh, yes, a lot of offense going on in that game. Um, so, yeah, that'll kind of wrap up our uh, spring football discussion here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. You heard it, though. Chris's spring game MVP, the redshirt senior, QB1, Ryan Willis. And uh, that is where we will leave uh, the conversation there. With that, we will transition into basketball where we have some news that has broken since the podcast has started. So if you've been watching, let me go ahead and read to you um, this um, 
release put out by Kerry Blackshear Jr. on his Instagram, putting out a okay. uh, statement going to Virginia Tech men's basketball transitioning there, putting up a post. Uh, I'll, I'll show it to our Facebook viewers um, of him dunking a basketball, but then with writing to the left of it saying, quote, Hokie Nation, I wanted you all to know that I'm exploring a number of options for this upcoming season. I've decided to enter my name into the 2019 NBA draft in order to pursue my lifelong dream. I have also placed my name in the transfer portal. I will continue discussing the possibility of continuing to play here at Virginia Tech with Coach Young and my family as well as other potential opportunities. Thank you for your continued prayers and support as I pursue my lifelong dream. Kerry Blackshear Jr. signed, close quote. So, CC, you read it in our break. I just read it to you. Your thoughts on the statement? I've always thought he was a smart guy with smart people around him, and I, and I think he did the smartest thing for himself. He's leaving every avenue to himself open. He can come back to Virginia Tech and finish off that grad degree if he wants to. If the if the NBA decide they really like him, he can keep his name in the draft and hire an agent if he wants to. He could still go play in Europe if he wants to, or if he wants to – Go, I mean, if he comes back to Virginia Tech next year, you know, on paper, this isn't going to be a very good team. Although, if they add the right graduate transfer pieces over the next month or so, then that, I think, would give him more of an incentive to return to Virginia Tech. So some of this is, you know, if they add a couple of grad transfers that where you think, okay, maybe they can be a lot more competitive than we thought they were going to be, I think that makes it easier for Blackshear to make a decision to return to Virginia Tech. They don't. There's going to be a lot of programs that, that won't carry Blackshear. Uh, I believe it was John Rothstein I just saw on Twitter say if he were to come back, he would be the best player in the transfer portal in the uh, entire country. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Um, he, he's a guy that, that that could play for just about anybody. Um, well, for anybody, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, he would, not, he would not be lacking suitors, that's for sure. So, Kerry Blackshear, good dude, smart guy. Uh, he's doing the smart thing. He's 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 leaving every avenue open. And he's, and, a, he's a fan favorite, like you say. Yeah, he's a good, he I mean, and he, and he doesn't have to make a decision quickly. I mean, he's he's not hired an agent. Uh, well, even if you do hire an agent these days, you can still return to college. You just have to cut ties with the with the agent, right? So, like I said, every every road is open for for Curie Blackshear. I thought that was really nice in his statement too to recognize. Uh, Virginia Tech is a possibility sure. Coach Young. It wasn't him just saying, I'm entering the transfer portal. I mean, I thought that was a very well-thought-out, very nice uh, post from Kerry Blackshear Jr., who's meant a lot to this program. Uh, speaking of the transfer portal, uh, Coach Buzz Williams uh, taking two of the incoming four recruits to this Virginia Tech class that he signed with him to Texas A&M. But as we were talking about off the air, this is something that happens anytime there's a change in college basketball. This is not uncommon, correct? Yeah, I mean... Buzz Williams doesn't recruit, I guess a lot of coaches like this, Buzz Williams doesn't recruit to the school he's necessarily coaching at. Buzz Williams recruits to his own personal brand. Um, well, he always talked, you know, in the postgame media and stuff, he, he would be like, this is our sixth year together or, or when we were at Marquette or when we did this. And he means we as in his group, his coaching staff, his collective it follows him around from school to school. He doesn't mean we Marquette or we Virginia Tech or any of that. He means we as in Buzz's little circle of trust, so to speak. Um, so it's not that big of a shock. Um, and it was Gordon uh, and it was uh, – Yeezy 
the uh, Goltikin, I believe is how you pronounce his name, um, the, the Turkish kid who had committed, who some people questioned, some scouts I know, questioned whether he was an ACC caliber player. So we'll see. I was a little bit surprised, actually, that Bose has taken him, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's nothing to get upset about. I mean, Ahmed Hill had signed with Marquette. I mean, it's not immoral or anything. I mean, I certainly would not turn away Ahmed Hill again. I wouldn't want to redo the last five years when there was with, a- without Ahmed Hill just to, just out of principle that we shouldn't recruit a guy that signed with Marquette because we hired their coach. That's just the way the game is these days. I would take. I wish we had five more Ahmed Hills to recruit. Um, so. It's college basketball. It's you hire a guy like Buzz, that's going to happen to you. So right now, the Virginia Tech roster includes Tyrese Radford, uh, Jonathan Cabongo, uh, uh, Isaiah Wilkins, and uh, two more that I'm uh, leaving out. It's uh, Radford, Cabongo. Uh, Who's in the transfer portal? Right. right. So there's you got Nolly in the transfer portal, Beatty in the transfer portal. The cool news is for Coach Mike Young, and you've seen him out recruiting, Virginia Tech's in the mix. A lot of grad transfers at the moment. There's one from uh, High Point they're interested in. It's going to be a brand-new team next year. Um, my personal opinion is that Blackshear won't be back. Um, and he's doing the right thing by leaving that option open for himself, but I think in the end he, he will not be back. I could be wrong. Uh, I don't think Nolly will be back. Not that we'll miss him because we never had him. Basically, thank you, Angie. Brendan Palmer, thank you. That's who I was missing well, there. Palmer is a walk on, Radford's a walk on. Those guys aren't going to help us. Walk ons don't help in, in basketball unless you're really, really, really bad for the most part. So, we're t- in p- terms of pure scholarship players, uh, yeah, it's just not very many guys. And so, I, I think uh, it's going to be a brand new team next year. There are going to be teams, there are going to be players playing for this team next year that you've never heard of right now and a lot of them most likely there will be freshmen that, that sign in april or over the course of the summer that you've never heard of there will be grad transfers that you probably never heard of um maybe a juco although this doesn't seem like a juco staff to, to me i could i could be wrong um it's gonna be a lot of new faces next year man it's gonna be a brand new roster and speaking on the uh, coaching staff, we talked a little bit about it last week. Uh, John Rothstein reporting earlier today uh, that Mike Young's going to bring Kansas State's Chester Frazier as an assistant coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, nothing has, I, I guess, technically been announced by the school, but that he is retaining Christian Webster and he is uh, retaining uh, another one of Buzz Williams' assistants from last year in what role we do not know. Mm-hmm. And then there is a Wofford assistant also who right. made announcement today coming. So it looks like his staff is almost complete. Yeah, let's let's address each one of those guys individually. Uh, Frazier's, a, by all accounts, a good hire. He, he's uh, been with – he played under Bruce Weber at Illinois, then he's coached under him. He spent his entire college career either as a player or a coach under Bruce Weber, who is a really, really good basketball coach, obviously. What he did at Illinois and what he's done at Kansas State has been fantastic. And then Kevin Giltner uh, of Wofford. Of Wofford. We don't know whether he's going to be an assistant or a support staff. That's the unknown right now. Um, so Fraser, definitely an assistant. Giltner, we don't know whether assistant or support staff. Now, the key, the, the key difference is as an assistant, you go out and recruit. As support staff, you don't. That, 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 that's the key difference. We do know 
although not officially, but, but yes, Christian Webster has been retained as another assistant. And Webster is – God, I've, I don't think I've ever encountered such mixed feelings on Webster. There are guys I've talked to who said, oh, man, he's not a good recruiter at all. And there are guys who will tell you, yeah, he, he's a good, solid recruiter. Um, the one thing everybody does agree on is he's a great dude and our players like him. I, it's weird. The in-state people that I've talked to seem to think he's a bad recruiter, but he seems to do fine with our out-of-state players and, and things like that. So I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what the deal is there, but he's got something to prove for sure. And then I, we don't know who the third assistant is going to be right now, whether it's going to be Giltner, whether it's going to be – Ryan uh, Nato. Uh, Nato's going to stay on in his director of player personnel role is what it looks like. That's what he's listed as on Hokie Sports. Uh, he's a video guy, analytics guy, came to Virginia Tech from the Chicago Bulls. And, that, and that, that's a good decision by Mike Young to retain him. Um, you know, Mike has never really been exposed to the analytics side of va- basketball before, coaching at a small uh, small school with a, a small budget. So retaining a guy like Nato will expose him to some things that he's never been exposed to before, give, give him a couple extra tools in the tools bo- toolbox, so to speak, if he chooses to use them or, or understands how to use them and all that stuff. So I think that's a, that's a, that's a good decision to retain him. Uh, Angie Catlett wants to know about Nichols, uh, Shane Nichols. As of this morning, I, I heard that that was less likely to happen, Shane Nichols being the third assistant on the staff. But, again, this whole – it's been fluid the entire time. And that could, that could, it could have changed already by now. It could change by tomorrow. Uh, but at this point, it's really looking like two of the assistant positions have been filled. My guess is that Giltner's going to be support staff. That would certainly be my preference. If he was the third assistant, then that would be two assistants who really have a lot to prove when it comes to recruiting. And uh, So two assistants and a head coach with a lot to prove when it comes to re- recruiting. So you, you prefer to at least have two known quantities as recruiters on your staff. And right now you've only got one in Chester Frazier. So, again, that was the uh, a little bit of news out of men's basketball again today with Kerry Blackshear Jr., uh, Chester Frazier being hired as an assistant coach uh, for Coach Mike Young. And, you know, last thing we'll touch on this before we wrap up uh, is that he has hit the recruiting trail hard. I mean, he went after the Richmond top scorer at Monacan, who I believe is a four-star. He talked to a five-star at Oak Hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has been on the move since he's been yeah, hired. Yeah, I, I think some people were concerned that he would say – you know what, I, I can I can coach kids up and things like that, and maybe he wouldn't necessarily target a lot of the high-level guys, um, but he's he's done, he's doing that. He is targeting high-level guys. And, and, you know, let's face it, Buzz used to like to get on the radio after games and talk about how Tech wasn't all that talented. They used to work hard and play with a chip on their shoulder and blah, 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 and that's not even close to being true. Tech was loaded last year. Let's, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Justin Robinson was a top 75 recruit by ESPN. Ahmed Hill was a top 60 recruit by everybody. Um, Kerry Blackshear was a four-star kid with over 20 Power 5 offers. Chris Clark was the number one player in the state of Virginia. Right. We didn't have him this year, but he's another example. Uh, Outlaw was the top JUCO shooter in the entire country. Uh, Who who am I leaving out? Um, Beattie was a top 
75-80 guy coming out of high school. Uh, the core of this team was four-star high-level ACC recruits. Right. Um, talent acquisition is the most important part of college basketball. Um, Buzz Williams won 12 or 13 games his first year at Virginia Tech, and it wasn't because he wasn't a good coach. It was because he didn't have enough talent. Yeah, what, what a who yeah, we go. <laughs> Alexander Walker, duh. Five-star recruit. Uh, he and Del Curry are the, high, are the highest-rated recruits in Virginia Tech history. So a lot of talent on, on this past year's team. Uh, so, again, and I needed to – so Coach Young, he's got a lot of scholarships to work with right now, a lot yeah. of people he can I don't even know in. how many scholarships. I, I don't think I can count that high. But, yeah, he's got – at this point, he can offer anybody and, and probably have a spot for him. So you got Palmer, Radford, Horn, Cabongo – and Wilkins are the five current players on the roster, and then there's one current of the four from last year that is still signed at the moment. Right. Who was a Canadian kid who I very much doubt. He, he only signed with Virginia Tech because of Jamie McNeely's Canadian connection. Very seriously doubt he stays signed with Virginia Tech. That's just my personal opinion. Um, Ant Harris, uh, who was the four-star in the first to yeah. decommit. It uh, looks I've, there's been reports that Roy Williams has gone to see oh, him. Yeah. Georgetown has gone to – but also Mike Young has gone to see him as well. He has. Um, I, as of Friday, I heard that Virginia Tech's chances of retaining him were not good. But I, I don't know that – I don't know if anything's changed since then. But he's, he's one of the top unsigned players in the country. And those guys get a lot of attention. If you're a top 100 player and you haven't signed, there's going to be teams that are trying to fill out their class in April that are coming at you hard. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, th I think he's a guy that's going to be pursued by a whole lot of uh, a whole lot of major programs. And it's going to be tough for Virginia Tech to, for, for Virginia Tech to hang on to him for sure. All right, well, that'll wrap it up the uh, men's basketball conversation point there. But, again, the news today of uh, a couple of assistant coaches being hired and then, of course, uh, Kerry Blackshear Jr. declaring for the NBA draft, not signing for an agent. Of course, if you're hearing that, it's a new rule. It does not mean he's gone officially. It means right. that he can come back, but he can um, operate as if he's moving towards the NBA draft for the next month or so before that deadline hits, before he has to come back to the NCAA uh, if he does choose to do that. Let's do this. Uh, Ronnie Adams, are we going to grab another Commonwealth Clash point this year? That transition. Or another Commonwealth Clash win. Win. Ooh. Oh, so, you know, that's, that's a good – I don't know what the, the total is right now. Look that up for me. Yep, I can do that right now, and which brings up a great point because there was a point picked up uh, this oh, weekend. Man. And, and – and, in style too, man. Uh, and, and they didn't score the whole weekend. So Virginia Tech softball swept swept UVA for a second year in a row. Uh, they won seven nothing, one nothing, and eight nothing in three games. They did not allow, allow a Cavalier to get to third base in all three of the games. It's really, really competitive, huh? Yeah. And uh, by the way, the game on Saturday at noon, game one um, of that doubleheader. It was the sixth largest turnout at Tech Softball Park in its history. I believe it. I was walking by, and the stadium was, was very full. And I'm guessing those other five times came when Angela Tencher was pitching. <laughs> so so currently the score is, after Virginia Tech picked up a full point, is 8.5 to 6.5 in favor of Virginia Tech. All right, so what what's left? Baseball, three-game series in baseball. Lacrosse. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, Texas lacrosse isn't doing as well this year as people hoped. Um, they play next week. Um, Virginia Tech has played a bunch of top ten teams in a row. It's in Charlottesville. They're in the top ten. 
Tech has competed. They lost to number one Boston College on Saturday, 16-13. to A very resilient game despite the loss uh, for Coach Sung's squad. Yeah, losing a lot of close games as top teams. So, Art, right, if you just picked on record There's right tennis now. tennis, too, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you just picked on record right now, then Virginia Tech will lose in la- women's lacrosse and they will lose in baseball. So that would give Virginia two more points and that would tie it. Outdoor so, track is left as outdoor well. Outdoor track track is left, and Virginia Tech generally holds the advantage in that. So, uh, you know, if they can pick up uh, in golf and in, in golf, right? Um, if if they can pick up a win in either uh, women's lacrosse or baseball, an upset win, that would go a long way towards uh, towards clinching. UVA is not as strong in baseball this year as they have been not, in previous years, and Tech is it's playing. A, it's a wonderful series. Yeah, so I don't think that's as tall as an order as maybe right. previous years have been. I agree with that. So, again, uh, big weekend for softball, by the way. They're 37-6 and and 16-2 and in ACC play. Uh, they are the number one team in the ACC at the moment, and uh, if I can just bring this up for 30 to 40 seconds, yes, uh, really important for Virginia Tech because if you win the Coastal, which um, right now they have a very big series this weekend, get out to Tech Softball Park if you're around. UNC played Florida State this weekend. Florida State's the defending Women's College World Series champions. They took two of three against them. They won the series against Florida State, the number three team in the country. Week before, Louisville, a team that was the eighth seed at the ACC tournament last year, took two of three against Florida State. So Virginia Tech has 16 wins in the Coastal, and North Carolina has 13. So this is a very big series for Virginia Tech, who has won all six of their ACC series this year. To win the uh, the when, coastal, win the series, you lock up the coastal. As, as, yes, you you would yes, and uh, it is going to be a big time series. Double header at four and six on Friday, and then a one o'clock game on Saturday. Let me throw a question at you. Um, our Tech's record in softball is thirty-seven and six. Thirty-seven and six, and they were ranked what? Uh, depends on what poll you right. have. ESPN's hasn't come out yet. They were seventeenth last week, and right now they're twenty-first in the NFCA coaches See, poll. Thirty-seven and six seems a little better than 17th and 21st. It seems like it should be a little better. Then the, Just my take. Well, the, so there are seven teams. No, I'm sorry. Over. Uh, I, I need to pull it back up. I, yes, I believe there are seven teams in the SEC, or maybe it was 10, in the top 25 okay. at the moment. Okay. Currently, in previous years, the ACC has not been as dominant Correct. of a conference no compared to the SEC. The Pac-12 is stacked with UCLA right. and Oregon and so it's a Washington. So but this year, however, last year the ACC only got two teams into the NCAA tournament, one of those, of course, being Florida State, who was top five all year. This year, UNC's making a competitive bid. Virginia Tech is very close, if not to a They're lock at this yeah. point. Florida State's a lock. Notre Dame in the Atlantic uh, could very well make it again this year. So there's a chance the ACC could get four, maybe five teams would be pushing it to make the NCAA tournament. That would be very, very, very big for this conference Taking, they've got five new head coaches in the ACC next year. Clemson gets added as the 13th school in the conference, and they've got a great recruiting class next year. You would think year. they'd be very good very quickly. Yes. Yeah. So this conference with the five new head coaches, Duke's got a new program from last year, is growing into a very, very competitive ACC conference. So, listen, Virginia Tech, again, there's a chance if they can keep winning, if they can win the ACC tournament, which in my opinion – they can do if, if if Florida State's losing these series and Virginia Tech keeps playing well. There's a chance they'll be the number one overall seed in Tallahassee, the ACC tournament. 
And if they keep winning, you never know. Virginia Tech could potentially host its first regional in softball history. They never did that under Andal and Tincher when they right. were here. I believe that there were a couple of field conditions that wouldn't allow them to host. Okay. There are certain requirements you mean to meet. That doesn't exist anymore. That field is nice. Correct. Nice. So, anyways, it is a very exciting time. Um, and as well for baseball right now, too. Again, winning record right now. Uh, they were down in Durham last weekend where I think they took one of two. Uh, did the last game get rained out? No, I believe they played the last game. Okay, so they would have taken one out of three. Um, yeah, they're better. Uh, they're winning all their midweek games, which they struggled to do in the past. In fact, they're crushing most midweek teams they play, except Liberty, who apparently can't lose to an ACC team. Correct. They're an NCAA tournament yeah, team. No doubt. Um, they're 21-16, and 6-12 and 12 yeah, in the conference. Kind of hit a wall against ACC opponents. They still don't have great pitching depth. And they're playing a lot of freshmen in the field. And their, their defense is fine, but you, when you have to hit that many freshmen in your lineup, um, I mean, they're going against pitchers that are going to be playing professional baseball at this time next year, quite frankly. So it's, it's a big adjustment. So they've kind of hit a wall on ACC play, but overall they're going in the right direction. Yep, they lost 4 nothing game one to Duke, 6-2 a win game two, and lost 9-5 um, on Sunday. Their game Tuesday at high point today on the 16th canceled. And then they've got a uh, weekend series against Georgia Tech at home Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's your spring sports update. A lot going on. Uh, of course, we've got you all covered um, on TechSideline.com. A couple of great articles from from you and from Jake Lyman and from Corey. You know, well-rounded the coverage, especially on softball right now. The message boards on the Olympic sports board. Yeah. A lot of traction sure. right now over there yeah. for sure. So uh, I told Chris we could probably do this podcast in about 50 minutes, and uh, it's an hour and 13. We always go way over. We, we, we always do. Hour, hour 15 is it's always it's my life. It's better to have more to talk about than not enough. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, this has been different. Just me and Chris this week. Uh, Will out of the office, and uh, we look forward to having him back. But, uh, yeah, another great podcast, and uh, we're, we're in the home stretch. Hard to believe that school lets out in less than a month. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And I'll say this as a townie now. I'm actually looking forward to it. No offense to you as a student. <laughs> it's going to be uh, able to get good parking wherever you go, I'm sure, over exactly, the summer. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, of course, be sure to follow us, uh, Tech Sideline, on Facebook and Twitter at Tech Sideline for all of your latest Virginia Tech sports update, the best content that you can find. And, of course, on TechSideline.com. We have the Friday Q&A this week. I'm sure some other great content. Yes, uh, probably a couple more scouting reports. I'm I think I've maybe got five or six more left to do from the 2019 recruiting class. I had a good Brandon Patterson article about uh, secondary coverages today. So spring game might be over, but uh, it's still content season at TSL. <laughs> the grind does not, stop, does not stop here at TSL 24-7, 365. That's going to do it for this week's Tech Sideline Podcast. Thanks so much to everybody for watching on Facebook. We appreciate you. Thanks so much to everybody for listening on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. For our managing editor, Chris Coleman, I'm Evan Hughes saying so long. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.